0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 8. We'll read that together in just a moment, and let me tell you what's happening. Do you realize two weeks from tomorrow is the start of Vacation Bible School? Two weeks from tomorrow, hundreds of kids will be here. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, that was super tepid, but that it'll be better than that. I'm just telling you, Vacation Bible School is going to be a great experience, and if you've uh, not signed your children up yet, please do so. Sign it. You can register in advance. You can there's QR code on the, uh, on the bulletin, I think. And if not, there I know there is one out in the atrium and you can get some help with Bible School. Thank you, all of you who are helping with Vacation Bible School as well. I want to just commend that to you. It's going to be a great experience. We'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. And uh, sometimes we, sometimes I, there are sections of the book of Revelation that are super positive and some that aren't so much. And sometimes I get to preach on things that you just love. Like last week. We we're in Revelation 7. We're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings. And we we're in chapter 7, and we saw the throne room of God. We just sang about that in this last song. And the Bible ends that passage by saying, Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. I mean, it's super positive. But that was last week. And this week, we're going to look at a section that's a little more uh, negative. Now, we like the positive. And sometimes... Um, we don't like so much the negative, but we need it, too. And God gives us the positive, those moments when we see the throne of heaven, and we need that, and it's great, and God shows us the judgment and the, and the consequences of sin, and we need that, too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read two chapters of the Bible out loud, together. We're going to read this. I'm going I'm to read it out loud. You're going to read it in your mind. And you get your Bible open, please, and follow along, and you're going to see what we call the Great Tribulation. So there's going to be some, there's going to be, a. maybe you got the idea by the words great tribulation, that there's great tribulation. Maybe you got that. Maybe you figured that out on your own and you'll see a little bit of what's going to transpire in the future. And and then I'm going to come back after we've read all those chapters. I'll read some, I'll comment a few times, and then I'll give you four principles that we learn from this important section. All right. Are you ready? Two chapters. If you'll read two chapters of the Bible, just five days a week just two chapters of the Bible, in half a year you'll have read the entire New Testament for yourself. You could read the New Testament for yourself. All right? So, And you've, today you'll already have done two chapters, so you'll be ahead of the game. All right, here we go, ready? Chapter eight, Revelation, follow along. The Bible says this, when the Lord opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I think that's because of the awe of what's gonna transpire in the vision ahead. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. By the way, we've seen that in the book of Revelation already of the prayers of God's people, like incense in the throne room of God that is it lasts and it lingers and there's a power to prayer. Verse 4. The smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And we'll see six of the seven trumpets uh, this morning. Verse 7. The, then there'll be an interlude, and then we'll come back to the seventh chapter eventually later in the book. Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth, so a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Did I tell you there was a little bit of negativity to this, some bad things happening? Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea, so a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Pretty bad. Uh, This great tumultuous time, a third of the seas must be hundreds, thousands of ships on the sea at any time, destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters. They had been made bitter. So it's like a meteorite, maybe even almost like a nuclear explosion, this um, bitterness of the water, people dying from this. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. And a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. And I looked and I heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. So we've seen the four trumpets. It's all negative. Bad things happen, darkening of the sky. The, a- the eagle flies and he says, If you think it's bad now, he does the triple woe. And he says, There's going to be bad things coming. Let's see them now in chapter 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth, and the key for the, for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air was, were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass, of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. Remember the seal of the 144,000 Israelites that are going to be used to spread the message of the gospel in in this time of tribulation. Verse 5, they were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. And In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die. But death will flee from them. A little bit negative. Verse 7. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. And their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions. So that with their tails, they had the power to harm people for five months. And they had as their king, the angel of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he was named Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two more woes to come after this. So John sees a vision of the future, and there's this, these terrible events. And maybe sort of described like maybe weaponry that John would not have been able to see in his time, of course, and beyond. And or maybe... Uh, demonic forces or perhaps better understood as a combination of both, this terrible cataclysmic events taking place. Verse 13, the sixth angel blew his trumpet and from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God, I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month and year were released to kill a third of the human race, a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses and the riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, uh, fiery red, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and from their mouths came fire, smoke and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, by the smoke and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, because their tails, which resemble snakes, have heads that inflict injury. The rest of the people, verse 20, the rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. I told, did I warn you? I warned you this is negative. It was. I mean, there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen in the Great Tribulation, and God tells us this clearly, and he does it for a reason. I'm going to note some of the lessons that we learn from this. And by the way, can I just tell you something? I believe the order of events is like this. There'll be a rapture of the church. Those who know Christ as Savior will meet the Lord in the air, and then there'll be a Great Tribulation. And so, You have the opportunity to miss this great tribulation, knowing Christ as Savior, going to the home that he's prepared for you. But for those who are in this world, it'll be a terrible time. Many will die, many difficulties, much judgment. And the Bible tells us about both the things that we like to hear and the things that we don't like to hear. The things that we like to hear, and we need that. And the things that are tough, and we need that. So let's note four principles together that Help us to see a little of why God shows us these things in His Word. And I want to encourage you to write these four things down. Are you ready? Number one, God's mercy to our world won't last forever. It won't last forever. God is showing mercy to our world. Maybe it doesn't feel that way because this is a broken world. You know that, don't you? You can see the brokenness around you. You can see the brokenness within you. That is, our world is broken and you're broken. Our world is broken, and you're broken. Sin has entered this world, and when it entered this world, the world was broken, and all of us have been we have been born with a bent towards sin. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. We all have brokenness in us. Uh, you have it in your life. The people you in your family have brokenness in their life. The people that you know, your friends, will have brokenness. This world is broken. We see it all the time in every way, the brokenness of our world. And you say, but how does that show God's mercy? Listen, it, it's going to be much worse. It's going to be much worse. And God provides us mercy that allows us in this world the opportunities that come with this day and this age. And I want you to understand something of what mercy is and why it matters so much. We could think of mercy and grace like two sides of a coin of God's love, like two sides of a coin of God's love. I've got a, I've got a quarter in my pocket. I'm a Buy Vicky something nice with this quarter. i save it for a long time and get her something really good. I don't know what you can buy for a quarter. Not very much. Maybe I hope she likes a piece of gum. That's about all I can imagine that you could get with a quarter. And a quarter has two sides to it. On one side is, uh, here's George Washington. And I love that he has a receding hairline. It just makes me feel so good that George Washington's hair is really receding. Good old George. God bless you, George. And on the other side is, um, is uh, an eagle. Benjamin Franklin wanted our national uh, bird to be a turkey. And cooler heads prevailed, and they made it the eagle. And this is not the woe, woe, whoa eagle of Revelation. This is the American eagle. And, but we would say this is one quarter, right? It's one coin. Two sides, but one coin. And we could think of God's love sort of like that as well. God's love is both his mercy and his grace. So grace is God's love where God gives to us, what we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's blessings. By the way, did you know, if, if you know Christ as Savior, you don't know Christ as Savior because, you're, because of your perfection, because you're so good. It's not as though God said, you know what, I, I couldn't help but notice how good you were, and so I'm going to forgive you of your sins. No, our sins are so bad, they separate us from God so fully that we could never earn our way to heaven. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And this is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't earn our way to heaven. It wouldn't be grace if we, if we could earn our way to heaven. It's grace because we don't deserve it. And God gives to us what we don't deserve. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, for your sins on the cross. And by his death, by his willingness to pay our debt, we can be forgiven. So grace is where God gives us the good things we don't deserve. Mercy is the other side of that coin. And it's where God withholds from us the bad things we do deserve. And we think of an American society, especially today, we think, all right, well, first we say, there's no such thing as sin, whatever you wanna do, fine. And the Bible begs to differ. God tells us the truth and he says, there are things that are good and things that are bad and right and wrong, and it's not based on what's popular. Did you know that? Not based on what people like or want or think. Did you know that? There are things that are by their very nature good and bad. God tells us the truth about this. And mercy is where God withholds from us the bad we de- that we deserve. So, if, so the truth is not only that we have sinned and that there is sin, but that sin is like a big deal. And we think, all right, if you, maybe I've sinned, maybe I've done something wrong, but it's no big deal. And God says not only have you sinned, but it's really a big deal. It's way worse than you think, way worse than you think. And if you got the consequences, if you took the mercy out, just removed the mercy, all of God's love, His grace and His mercy, and just got what you deserved, man, it's bad. It's all bad. It's separation from God for eternity in hell. I mean, that's bad. I mean, while we're on the negative subject, let me just, you know, put that out there that it's super bad and negative. And and the Bible tells us that grace and mercy, uh, God gives to us. And here's part of why this matters so deeply. We talk often about the gospel here, and the gospel means, it's a Bible word, and it means good news. It means good news. And we don't think of it as any really as good news because we don't really understand how bad the bad news is. But when we get the bad news, that my sin is serious and I'm separated from God and there's no hope for me, but that God loved me even in my broken condition and he did for me what I could not do for myself on the cross and Christ paid the penalty, then suddenly when I see the bad news, I get the good news. If you don't understand the bad news, you'll never think of it as good news. It'll just be no big deal. So if, it's, if you don't understand the bad news, then you just think, Worship, well, you know, fine. If, I have, if it's convenient, giving, you know, if it's not too much sacrifice, service, you know, if it doesn't trouble me too much. But if ever you understand mercy, that God is withholding from you the bad you deserve in his love, and grace where God is giving to you the good things that you don't deserve, then all of a sudden worship is something you're excited about because you recognize how little you deserve it and God allows you this privilege and giving is a, an act of our worship and the generosity is just a response to God's generosity to us and we want to serve Him because God has served us and we begin to think about the motivation of what we do in a very different light because of God's love. And while I'm on this subject, I want to ask you to beware of the entitlement attitude that is so common in our in our generation that somehow we're owed something. Can I say, you probably ought not to say to God, hey, God, give me what I deserve. Right? Give me what I deserve. Because we deserve to be separated from the Lord. You know, Memorial Day is kind of a good reminder of this because it reminds us that The freedom that we enjoy comes because people sacrificed for that freedom. And living by this military base reminds us we get to meet people who are willing to sacrifice on our behalf and for our freedoms. And we ought to take that seriously. And we're reminded that God's mercy has been given to this world, but it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. There's a second principle I want you to get. God's judgment will come. So it it continues to be sort of negative here, doesn't it? God's judgment will come. And the Bible tells us here about God's judgment. We're beginning to see it in chapters 8 and 9 played out in the world in the Great Tribulation. So God is, if we were to say in today's society, God is what? blank, God is blank, what is he? We'd, most people in the, who are connected to Christianity, those of us even who know the name of the Lord, would say God is, we'd say holy. I'm sorry, we'd say God is love. This is previous generations that would have looked at it differently. We say God is love. Now he's got holy, Yeah. But I think most of us, our first response would be to say God is love. And he is. Is God love? Yes, he's love. It's it's his nature. It's who he is. God is love. And we tend to note that and we tend to de-emphasize then the holiness of God. But if we were to go back a couple hundred years in time and talk to American Christians then, I think most of them would have said God is what? Well, God is holy. And is God, listen, is God holy? Yeah. And by the way, if you don't know that, I'm going to preach it three, three times as long as I normally preach it, so you understand. God, yeah, I hate to threaten you like that. That's a terrible thing to threaten you like. God is holy. Yes, God is holy. And there's nothing I'm glad they emphasize that God is holy, but maybe they de-emphasize the love of God. Listen, both are true. God is, always has been and always will be, love and holy. They go together. And we're reminded in this passage that God is holy. Chapters 8 and 9. Chapter 7 reminded us God is love. He'll wipe away every tear in heaven. Chapter 8 and 9 remind us God is holy. There are consequences to our actions. And while we're in the time travel business, let's just imagine we're going to go, let's imagine we're going to do some time travel. I don't, think that's, I don't think they'll ever invent a time machine. And I'm, I say that because I think we know it by now. Someone would have gone back in the past and it had done something and we'd be aware of that. And the fact that we're not suggests it's not going to happen. But let's just imagine for the sake of imagination, that we could go back in time. And you go back, let's, let's put you in this, and you go back to uh, 1912, to April of 1912. You go back to April of 1912, and you're on a cruise. That's not so bad to imagine, right? You're on a cruise in April of 1912, a nice cruise across the ocean. And then you notice the name of the, of the vessel that you're cruising on, and it says uh, RMS, I think that's how they said, RMS Titanic. And then all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, I know what's going to happen here now. This is going to go poorly. Bad things are going to happen. And so if you have any compassion in your heart, you would start warning people. You start saying, hey, we need to get prepared. How about the lifeboats? Let's get those ready. Guys, are you ready in a moment's notice? Because I think some bad things might happen. It doesn't look good. They say, this is the ship that God can't sink. And you're going to say... You're going to find out. You're going to find out. And, the, and so you've you warned them, right? Well, this is what God does for us. He tells us what's going to happen. And he reminds us that God's judgment will come. One day all of us will stand before the Lord. Whether you prepare or not, whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not, <laughs> we're all going to stand before the Lord. The book of Revelation is telling us what's going to happen and God's judgment will come. Because God, yes, God is love and God is holy. There's a third principle I want you to know. Hardened hearts continue to reject God. I am just staying negative, aren't I? Hardened hearts continue to reject God. And I want you to go back to the end of chapter 9. It's instructive to us. The Bible says, The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues, and there were a whole lot of them killed by the plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands. Verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders, sorceries, sexual immorality, or their thefts. They didn't repent. You say, how can that be? When all of these people die, and all of these cataclysmic events take place, and all of the problems, and this great tribulation, how could it be? Listen, there's something about the hardening of the heart that is a danger for all of us. And the more you say no to God, the harder that heart tends to get. And you can say no to God in different ways. You can say direct, like the three-year-old little boy who says, shakes his little fist at his parents, you're not going to tell me what to do. We can do that to God. We can say no to him that way. But probably more common for many of us is to say no to God in a more indirect way. And we say, mm, not right now. Someday, someday, Don't get me wrong, God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to trust you as my Savior. I'm going to live for you as my Lord. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to obey you in this area. Someday, one day, what we're saying in effect is not this day, no to this day, no to right now. And the more we say no, the more we tend to have our our hearts get hardened. And those spiritual arteries begin to clog. And we begin to find saying no to God is easier. And there comes a day when some of you right now, man, you are really thinking about the things of God, maybe even considering trusting Christ as Savior. And I want to urge you to give your life today to Christ today and not to wait another day. There's this danger. Some of you will say, well, you know, someday it'll be more convenient someday. I doubt it. And the danger is your heart will grow harder. Some of you are believers even. There's a hardening that happens in our own hearts, even as believers, where we begin to say, well, not right now, God. I'm not going to get really serious about my faith. Someday, of course, I'm going to, you know, someday on and on. But there's something about the hardening of hearts that happens. And we're saying to God, well, no, for right now, no. Do you remember newspapers? Do you remember newspapers? Some of you are young enough, you just barely can remember newspapers. You'd, they, the news came in hard, on paper. They would print it on, on paper, and you would get that ink on your hand, and it had a feel, and you'd turn the pages. And I, that's just you know, going away. There's hardly any newspapers now. And in the days when newspapers were more common, they used to have commonly in those newspapers a, an advice columnist who might give advice about a, a myriad of things, just whatever. You'd ask advice and maybe they'd tell you what they thought you should do in a relationship or something and some of the advice was good and some of the advice was not so good. Some of it kind of healthy and some of it not very healthy. In this generation, maybe we don't do it through newspapers so much, but man, there was a, there's advice. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've given it, Maybe you've believed it, and it goes something like this. It says, follow your heart. And may I say, respectfully, that's terrible advice, terrible advice. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Did you know your heart has a tendency to lie to you? That is to not, It's bad enough to lie to other people, but lots of times you'll just lie right to yourself. Your, your heart will just lie to yourself and deceive you. Your heart is wicked, the Bible says. That is, there is within us this wickedness, our desire to just do what we want. and So instead of following what God says, we want to just follow our heart. Can I just give you better advice? Follow Jesus. Follow the Lord. You might not always see where Jesus is going. And maybe you don't always understand why Jesus says no or why the Lord tells us to go through that door, not go through this door. We might not always fully see it, but follow him. Don't trust your heart. It will lie to you and, and lead you down the path that's easiest, or, the, or the, the enemy has a tendency just to help you along that path, to make that journey to follow your own feelings more convenient, to follow the popular crowd. And Instead, follow Jesus. His way is harder sometimes, and sometimes it's even more narrow, and sometimes it's more difficult, but it's always right and good and best. And so whatever the Lord is saying to you, I want you to say yes to him. Maybe you've said no to the Lord. Say yes to him. And if today the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and righteousness, today I want to ask you to be saved, to give your life to Christ in a moment when we pray, I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus today, ask him to save you. And Christian, maybe you've said, I'm not whether I know someday i'm going I'm going to get right in this area, someday I want to ask you today to get right with the Lord and don't let that heart get any harder. Principle number four. God's revelation shows us today's opportunity. Man, I feel like this this is like a optimistic like a positive one a happy one how about that God's revelation shows us today's opportunity why does God tell us about the future why would he tell us all of these bad things that are going to happen can I tell you why for today not just so we know what's going to happen one day but so that we live recognizing what tomorrow is going to be so that we live well today today and God wants you to learn from the future and to learn what's going to take place so that this day you live more effectively. And I believe the more you understand about eternity that you're going to stand before the Lord one day, the more you understand that God made you for something beyond just this moment in time and just this world, that God has something bigger and better for you, the more likely you are to live effectively in this world and not to waste your time and your years and your life and your gifts and your opportunities, but to make a difference for his glory. And so God shows you the future for now. For now. Don't waste this day. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Some of you need to be saved and maybe you've tried religion or maybe you've tried to kind of work your way to God, but the Bible tells us we need Christ and Christ died in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today. The Bible tells us to do that. We repent of our sins We acknowledge them. We just acknowledge, God, I've sinned against you. And my sin is more serious than I've taken it. But God, I want to turn from sin. Would you just tell him that right now? The Bible tells us to place our trust in Jesus, to believe in him. Would you say, God, I recognize that you lived the perfect life that I haven't lived. And you died the death that I deserved on that cross. You took my place. And you rose from the grave. You gave me the miracle that I need. And then the Bible tells us to receive him as Savior. We say, God, I want to invite you to be my Savior. I want to give my life to you as best I can. I'm going to give you right here and now. I'm going to ask you to save me and give my life to you and follow you as my Lord. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. And if you pray to ask Christ to save you right now, man, that's a big thing. The Bible describes it as the most important decision of life. And I want you to grow in your faith and learn more of God's purposes and plans for you. But, man, this day there's something powerful about it. Some of you are believers here, God brought you to chapters 8 and 9 because he wanted to remind you that in this world of time and space and these opportunities that come right now, God wants you to live for him now. Don't say one day or someday or maybe, but would you say, God, I want to learn about the future so that I live in the present in the way you want me to live. And Father, I want to thank you for your word. There's a power to this. We love chapter 7 where we see a glimpse of heaven And we need it. But we need chapters eight and nine that remind us of these hard things and that ultimately judgment will come and one day there'll be an end to the opportunities of mercy and that we need to live our life now knowing that that day is coming. And so Father, use this in our life to make us what you want us to be and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus name, amen.